Hello everyone and welcome to our theatre podcast. I'm Cory, Associate Editor with Arts Equator and I'm currently in the necessary stage with the company's founder and artistic director, Elvin Tan, as well as the artistic director of Drama Box, Scott Heng Luan. Drama Box and The Necessary Stage are collaborating on a new theatre production called Underclass, which explores poverty, inequality and human dignity in Singapore. It runs from 16th May to 3rd June 2018. We are also joined today by Associate Professor Tio Yo Yen, who is Head of Sociology at Nanyang Technological University, who has recently published her book, This is What Inequality Looks Like, which also explores very clearly and incisively issues of poverty and inequality in Singapore. Thank you so much to everyone for being here today. I thought I would start with speaking to Elvin and Hengluan about how this new work has come to be. Because both your companies have collaborated before on Manifesto in 2016, which was this really searing production that looked at the lives of artists and histories of art making in Singapore and how that kind of intersects with this country's arrested political development. So at that point, after you had finished Manifesto, did you thought about how you wanted to collaborate again? And you know what was kind of that confluence of conversations or ideas that led to underclass? <laughs> oh gosh, I can't remember how we came to poverty. Oh, I guess uh, at one time we were, we just came across that word strap and, and was like um, strap for cash, you know things like that and we're looking and we're just discussing among ourselves the the idea of poverty and looking at actually people like migrant workers who are underprivileged in Singapore and then I think the focus went to the local poor and uh, at that time too there were a lot of things uh, escalating in terms of the uh, in the gap you know uh, between rich and poor in Singapore and uh, I think things were getting more into the you know like Facebook feeds and uh, uh, more people were were woken up by the uh, stand, ri- rise in costs in Singapore and, and things like that yeah and um, I guess for myself also I'm taking care of two aging parents elderly and uh, my brother with uh, schizophrenia and. Uh, then I became the only income earner uh, when my brother lost his job. Mm. And then uh, when I tried to apply for subsidy, then I had to go through means testing. And because of my salary and because we're in a landed property, I don't qualify. Right. Yeah, so there is that. But for me, I'm still okay. I can manage. But to think about the others then who might be in a more you know tighter situation, uh, what are they uh, going through uh, in a circumstance like that and how there's money in this country and there's affluence and all that and then the people who are uh, are poor sometimes are not able to access that wealth and uh, sometimes because of ignorance because they don't know there's no aid uh, uh, there's so no uh, social medical worker attached to them so they don't know how to go about it or uh, they've all people that fall through the cracks yeah um, like for example like you have a grant that you can't qualify for because you earn two hundred dollars more yeah yeah so the so things like that begin to I guess float into our conversation uh, but hang on we probably have another entry point <laughs> you see I think history has many different 
I guess he he did say something that I think stuck in Harish's mind, which was that uh, resilience um, can also be the 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 rhetoric or the the way the government praises uh, people to be so that they abdicate the responsibility of having to do anything to mm. close the gap of inequality uh, because they say wow you know yeah and they bring all these stories they put them on a pedestal that these mm-hmm. people are poor and can struggle through their poverty and these people just did it on their own resource and their own uh, their relatives and family come in to help you know and things like that because the root cause is not questioned I think you said you questioned something about how resilience uh, can be seen from the other angle and that I really stuck with us I think we also talk about resilience as resistance also then we also think of, you know, when we are in, in that particular story when, when the individual take over the responsibility, weirdly, we have then contributed to the resilience of the institution, mm. whether it is good or bad. Mm. So again, uh, I think uh, slowly then as we evolve, mm. we start to not just look at individual, but we're actually looking at institution yeah. in the piece. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that this kind of forms a parallel track with the sort of narratives that you put forward in your text mm-hmm. as well, the stories we tell ourselves mm. of how Singapore has come to be, mm. that, that, that we've become from poor to affluent, mm. you know, this kind of narrative of, of success. And, and, and if many have done it, why can't mm. these people, lower income people, mm. do it as well? And I think uh, Dramabots and TNS approach you, Yoyan, during phase one of mm. The research. What was this kind of negotiation mm. like, and what do you feel like when you when what were your initial thoughts when they first approached you with this work? Um, I think at that point it was it was resilience that was the anchor of our conversation, and I, I think some of the tensions that Ingwan and Alvin have just mentioned we also talked about then, which is this idea that when we focus on resi- resilience, there is a danger of sliding into sort of valorizing individual persons. And when you do that without any kind of structural analysis or analysis of the conditions that individual persons are living in and rooted in and responding to, you very easily run the risk of then looking at people who succeed as, well, if these people can, why can't other people? And 
also at the same time looking at people who fail and, and then to say, you know, well, they only have themselves to blame, mm. right? And I get asked this question quite a bit when I give talks that people want to hear these good stories. People want to hear stories about success. People want to hear stories about people overcoming. And there is, I think, a tension I have to feel uh, when, I, when I do my work and when I write up you know, my findings where I do see, I do see a lot of strengths and I do see a lot of amazing things that people are able to overcome in very, very difficult circumstances. But I always emphasize the fact that people can overcome and the fact that people have strengths and the fact that people are amazing doesn't mean that things are okay, right? And um, the fact that they've overcome is in spite of the system, not because of the system. And, th and that's really important to emphasize, I think, when we talk about the resilience of individuals, it's, it's not to lose sight mm. of the context that they're rooted in and the conditions that they face, and to not to mistake their triumphs for the triumphs of the system. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing the premise of this show puts forward is that the protagonist, Sini, right, she loses her job, um, she loses her flat, and she moves into a rental flat, and she's trying to leave, you know, move out of this rental flat mm. back to, to what is ostensibly, in, in quotes, a normal mm. life. And Yoyan, I think in your, in your book, you also deal with uh, you know, a lot of these cycles that people are caught in, mm -hmm. that they are in a rental flat, they don't know how to you know, make ends meet in order to get out and have and own their own flat, mm. or their children begin school at a level that is automatically disadvantaged mm -hmm. academically compared mm -hmm. to their peers. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard for them to then catch up. So what are some of the things that people face in trying to remove themselves from, from these cycles that they find themselves caught in? I guess that's the thing about uh, it being systemic, right? Because uh, when I was studying once, I met uh, someone who, who was doing his uh, PhD and he was saying, because we were in New York, and I was saying, how can this place where it's, uh, so it's, uh, it's such a capitalistic city, you know, have so many homeless, and he was trying to explain to me about the poverty trap and how you can kind of behave in a way, you know, middle class uh, people accept you, but then it's temporary because you, you can't maintain it, you can't sustain it. And then after a while, you fall back and you, you fall under again. And, and it's very difficult if your, your background and your infrastructure and all that is not there to prop you up and sustain you through then it's very difficult to break the cycle uh, was a, a concept I was yeah I wasn't uh, familiar with yeah and it's uh, yeah it's 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 difficult to uh, yeah basically to sustain let alone break it you can I think you can break it but you can you what I got the idea is that you break it but it's like short term you know and then you're, you're just swimming your head above the water and then something happens and then you collapse again so you your foot is not on, on firm ground that you can actually uh, uh, go through all the obstacles that you face that something goes wrong and then you are again out of job and everything goes yeah and then you're under water again yeah so that's my understanding with what Elvin has said and, and I would add I mean one of the things that I try to do in this book and the reason I focus on inequality and not poverty per se is to emphasize that 
um, for people with more means, there are a lot of conditions that we take for granted that allow us to do a lot of things, right? And in some ways, I think it's useful to think about that rather than to think about, or and rather than to think only in terms of what people without means are trying to do. So if we look at how people try to meet their needs for wage work and for care, and um, for, care, for care, care needs of either elderly parents or young children, you know, what makes this possible for a middle-class family to do that, right? Um, it's paid labour of domestic workers. It is um, a structure that, or, or, a, or a society that sees their choices as, as, the, as the right choices to yeah. make, right? Um, it's about jobs that allow for some level of flexibility it's about adequate income that allows for buying time for leisure or leisurely activities, which in turn allow for parents to have authority over their children. Um, if you look at education, what allows for kids from middle or upper middle fam class families to do well, it's tuition, it's enrichment classes. Um, so I think when we look at what it takes to meet various needs, you know, work-life balance needs, education needs, um, needs of youth who are growing up. Um, we see that there are a lot of conditions that are necessary, right? And, and that for people who have them, they take them for granted. But if it's the case that you don't have those conditions, of course the default, of course the default is to be stuck, you know? That, and that's the case for everyone. I think that's important mm. to emphasize is that those conditions are important for everybody and those needs are important to meet for everybody. And so if you don't have those conditions, what can you expect? You should expect that it'd be very hard to get out. In making this work under class, I wonder if you could walk me through a little bit of what you looked at in terms of research, um, what the class did, the conversations that had to prepare for working on a piece such as this. Um, maybe some of the people you met or things that you discussed in conversation? Well, <laughs> I think, uh, of course, uh, one of the things was uh, Harish actually went for a number of, interviewed a number of people from Beyond Social Service uh, through contacts with Beyond Social Service and met up with uh, some of these communities. I think that was useful for his writing. On our side, actually, when we were improvising, actually, we draw a lot from their own personal experience of who they've met. And then, of course, with all the uh, people we invite, you know, to actually to run us through some of the things that they have been, you know, concerned with, like Yu Yan, Lam Kiong, you know, I think those were very helpful. Uh, and that really helped us to actually frame the work in the process. I think there's a lot of talk at this moment also about poverty and uh, and and inequality. I remember someone saying this to me, you know, the way you talk about this, uh, you are making a lot of emotional statement to it, mm. making it sound like you know it's so. It sounds really good with all the emotions that come with it. Let's let's be let's be more rational about this. And the argument is that the government 
okay, is tackling that one bit by one bit. And that's the argument whereby it's not a case of in spite of uh, uh, of the system. So the, against what they're saying here is that we are within our system uh, helping all these people. Whereby then I think uh, that which is their path to work which I think is very interesting is uh, where Yuyan talked a lot also in her book about the dignity part. I think the dignity part uh, goes beyond what the system can be addressing. The system can be really brutal. And I think in our discussion a lot of time we're really looking at the brutality and the violence mm-hmm. of a system when they make an intervention. Mm-hmm. In, the, in, in saying it's helping, but actually there's a lot of violation in an mm-hmm. individual dignity. Mm-hmm. So I think that bit connects to us as individual because I think well, she said that dignity is like clean air <laughs> and all of us you know uh, a lot of time I think even as an art maker as an individual you know, we are constantly questioning what dignity means to us mm. I think that's something that helps connect us when we are actually doing the improvisation but I, 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 I always been thinking you know, how institutions look at individuals or do they look at numbers mm. uh, and in numbers, there's no dignity actually. Mm-hmm. There's only glory. Uh, but uh, in individuals, you really look at an individual soul, the being, the emotion, the intellect, and that constitute, you know, spiritually, you know, that whole dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's that's where a lot of time the work was really in the improvisation was mm-hmm. about that. I think I think it's looking at how you. Uh, treat the person as a total human being rather than emphasizing I think the system is too busy and preoccupied emphasizing that they are doing something about it and they are helping so the focus is on the schemes on the tenets and the terms and conditions of the scheme and uh, not looking at the person and the person's needs and how to make the scheme flexible because the scheme is put in place because for for them, it has to be like fair to everybody, you see. And I think, I don't know, I feel that's just an excuse because how each person is different, they have different needs. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and ha- you have to kind of be more open and more flexible. Uh, yeah, and, and, the, and, and when you bureaucratize the thing, uh, I find that it's something that is inconvenient. You know, you get the idea that it's not contributing to GDP. So because of that, then everything, can we just do it quick and fast and, you know, systematically and efficiently uh, uh, so that the whole society knows that we are taking care of uh, the less privileged in our society. Uh, it's like a PR exercise. So the sincerity is being questioned, you see. So that's why when people say, Let's not be emotional about it. Let's be rational. It's very suspect. Because mm. when you're marginalized, you, you you normally let the marginalized. You don't police the tone. If people are emotional about it, you know, there's a reason for it. It's not just they just make it as okay, you're irrational. Then you know you're not you're not having a balanced perspective. And if you are speaking on behalf of 
people who are less privileged or because they don't have a voice or if people themselves who are, are less privileged are making noise how do you expect them to be rational uh, yeah or a single mother that's trying to think about her, her children you know um, and so we're a society that doesn't seem to connect with the uh, less privileged in you know in the, the body politic we just seem to be so systematic system about it and ironically uh, the discrimination and injustice is also caught in the system you know and that is the hardest thing because you can't touch the core thing when you touch then you are seen as subversive you're seen as challenging the authorities and all that you see so we end up all of us uh, look doing charity work now I'm saying that I'm not saying that charity work is it's, I'm not looking down on it. It's necessary but insufficient. But we seem to be put at bay that we can only do that. And if you want to be useful, and we do, and we want to, you know, not have our conscience break, we want to do something about it. So we want, to, and it's the same. Government wants us to be active citizens also, but active citizens on a continuum up to a point that you don't question you know the system that is causing so all of us are helping but we are also helping sustain the 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 injustice and the inequality because the root cause is not addressed yeah but try approaching the root cause you know but you you know you you get burned you see now how do we transmit that to the audience yeah yeah so interviewing and talking to all our researchers gives us the frame but at the same time, the work has to reach the human level. So the characters, the relationships, and the storytelling is uh, has to be the way uh, we are going about it. Lah. And when we start directing, also looking at how to place these things in that world so that people can relate to it yeah, and not something. But I think, I feel that the Singapore audience and people are ready for it because of social media and all that uh, it's closer to the people and more people are talking about that and hearing it or going through it because we are like the cost of living is going up yeah so they can they I, you know they, they don't have to have such imaginative minds they can I, I think make the leap and follow us in, in the journey of the play mm. I'm very intrigued by this idea um, this critique one raised this critique that other people have raised that dignity is an emotion mm. that dignity is a feeling and it, it seems the critique um, is that if it's a feeling then institutions mm. can't guarantee it and institutions can't deliver it right that uh, it's too subjective I guess that's the critique is, is that the right it, way it, to I phrase think, it? I think what you're saying by raising all this, you can get everybody emotionally around, but mm. that may not solve the problem. I mm. see, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think then maybe the critique is double, right? One is that, one is, one is an implication that if you get people riled up, that somehow that is not legitimate. That's not a legitimate response. Mm. Being riled up, being angry, being upset is not a legitimate response to things life yeah. phenomenon <laughs> because we are we are dramatizing it and then we are exaggerating it yeah yeah, uh. yeah and when we are in that mode then 
we can't do anything practical uh, to help to actually do any concrete help right? mm. objective la. yeah uh, but uh, but i've been thinking you know that okay dignity and other things many things are, are emotional responses of course and feelings are feelings are subjective feelings do there there is a wide continuum of feelings right that people experience and it, it is difficult to see how institutions or bureaucrats would be able to deliver on an emotion such as dignity, if we're saying dignity is only an emotion. But I think, but I think dignity is very much about having choices and that it's not, a, it's not about having specific kinds of outcomes, but about having choices so that people can control their lives and do what you know within constraints right do what they they would like to do to to fulfill their potential or to feel like they are valued in in the world and feel like um, they can be loved and all those things choices are about certain room having a certain room to move right and to and to be and and all of us need that and that that having that mastery over our lives is what gives people dignity choices is something i think absolutely institutions can deliver yeah you don't have to deliver the the outcome of that feeling of dignity (laughs) but if you're able to deliver choices so that people have mastery over their lives. I think that that's a very important precondition or step, you know, to, to dignity. And if it's the case that having mastery over our lives and making choices is what makes us human, then that should be aspiration, an aspiration of, of any kind of institution, you know, or, and particularly institutions that are, that are targeted at the national body, right? targeted at all citizens that those institutions um, should have in their aspirational goals should have in their mission you know um, the, the, the aspiration to try to deliver um, choices to people right? and I mean in the chapter dignity is like clean air I, I sort of end by thinking about whether the dignity I presume I have as a person, um, you know, as a person of some status in, in this society, whether that is real dignity or not. Um, and here I'm going to contradict myself a little bit because I just said choices, right? And I, I do have certain choices. But I also feel like the, the, the worth that I have as a person is not necessarily because I have an inherent worth as a human person making choices or, or living my life. Um, but because I'm, I have a certain status, you know, and, and status is something that is, is so dependent on where you are in the life course in Singapore society. You know, as long as you're economically contributing in some way, then, then, that is, then you have a certain kind of status. But once that passes, you know, um, you lose that status in some ways as well, yeah? which, which sort of implies that that my dignity is also contingent right? it's also contingent on being at being at a certain point doing certain things rather than in my inherent worth as a human person yeah. Yeah. I mean I think this relates 
quite a bit to what Elvin was saying earlier about the focus on on a certain kind of economic end and a certain kind of economic activity and a narrow kind of economic activity as as a necessary precondition to belonging in the society. I, I think with that it's also the I feel it is it's confused here with dignity with welfare. Yeah, I think with the economic ethos or yeah premise that the government is going on, they fear that if we, they give in to the dignity element, then then it is all about supporting the whole idea of welfare. Uh, and with welfare, then it will it will not do the capitalistic system. It will not service that lah. Yeah, because the, you you once the welfare mentality is there uh, so they do have money put aside because they don't want homeless everywhere uh, it's an eyesore to tourism and all that so they do but then they make access to help uh, not not that easy um, and um, I find that that's why I think they hold back because indignity is such a emotional exaggerated term I think it's because it's associated to the whole idea of like, oh, you open the whole uh, floodgates of uh, welfare, uh, the idea of welfare, and that uh, people have the inherent worth as a human being, the, the dignity and all that, and you have to kind of uh, respect that. Then, uh, then the whole thing on meritocracy will fall through as well. Yeah. So I find that that's the basic thing that... Uh, it's not having a healthy discourse here because they are so singular-minded about meritocracy. Yeah. And I think the idea that, that we yeah. can all pull ourselves up by oh, yes. straps, that we all start from an equal position and, yeah. and have equal opportunities to make it far in life. Yeah, that and if you afford it to us, yeah. and if you fail, it's your fault. Yeah, and I think this activated citizen or individual for for some time, you know, has been a bit troubling because slowly it shifts the responsibility mm-hmm. into to the individual and at the same time when you stress a lot on meritocracy and competition you isolate an individual yeah. so then mm. at the end if you want to seek for a systemic change actually you need to be organized yep. mm. and that again within our legal structure within many things that we have it's actually extremely mm-hmm. you know Difficult. allergic and fearful of organization mm. So in the end, each can only express your needs. And so you're responsible of your needs mm. and you have to fight for your needs. But if you want to talk about organizing people, then leave it to the governance and let mm. them do it. Mm. Which then in the end, you go back to this so same old system mm. again. Yeah. You're isolated, you're eliminated, and then in the end, you only have yourself to blame. Mm. And that's, ex- that's actually very disempowering and mm-hmm. very dehumanizing. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the thing that troubles. I mean, mm. really, mm. It's, it's, it's not a society that actually encourages you to organize. Yeah. Mm. It's a society that uh, encourages you to self manage yourself. So there's a lot of management. Mm. Management yourself. So management means you, know, you have to like, keep it in order. Mm. And, and it's not about organizing, it's really about mani- managing. So I think here we are really looking at a series of characters trying to manage mm. situations, yeah. then tackling the problem, then dealing with the problem. I just want to manage it within so that you know I have the 
you know, I can get the best out of it with mm-hmm. the least collateral damage. Right. In the play as well, there's a very subtle critique on culture and how that, re- that resilience and the self-dependency and to be independent and not to trouble other people and not to inconvenience other people that has some cultural point to you know to our dignity because we don't want to inconvenience others and uh, you, know, you know what I mean because so that it's not just blaming the government or the or the or the system but there's something that operates in our culture also of uh, wanting to help ourselves and want not wanting to push away help from other people um, which is very different if you have a movement because you have a movement of people who are in similar situation coming together and wanting to do something for themselves yeah so uh, so when it comes to like charity and someone you know giving you something and helping you that is something also that eats into dignity because uh, you you need you know this handout you need this help that is quite don't know for me quite interesting how we are trying to say we are self-sufficient one thing I also drew from Yohan's book is this idea of disrupting the narratives that we've been taught disrupting that narrative Mm. and I wonder on stage as you work on this piece what kind of disrupting narratives are you putting forward and what, what kind of things would you hope that audiences see that are different from the narratives we've constantly be presented, you know, such as meritocracy or the sense mm. that everyone is afforded those kinds of opportunities. Um, what kind of characters come into play? I think it's more the relationship of the audience with the character. Right? It's my hope that the audience feels the hopelessness of uh, what we have now currently and how um, a person working in the system to help himself or herself, yeah, and uh, there's also a character that's looking outside this country to actually uh, change the, the narrative yeah. uh, and is that then the only way you know, to leave this ecosystem or is there a, a, a way that we can kind of work together uh, like he was saying like organizing but what happens if we go there there's danger but can we still go there and still go there and and still try to find up to which point is dangerous you know because sometimes we just think organizing cannot then all don't go there i guess is to challenge our creativity as well and to see that if it's that hopeless then we are right at the bottom of it and we there are people in the play that you know does the charity work and they there's a social there's someone who's you know from a social enterprise point of view that is trying to help but it's not sustainable uh, uh, then what what happens you see because these are all like skirting around the issue so we have explored that for you on stage and you can see that yeah yeah this is not a bad idea but then you know there are obstacles still and, uh, and it's not sustainable it doesn't go very long so then in the end uh in that hopelessness, then what do you think uh, we should be doing? What's the next step? I guess it's more a question. Uh, the intervention is that we then display for you on stage the different routes that uh, all of us mm-hmm. as a society are familiar with. And then 
then what next yeah what can be done because I guess what I hope we'll be confronted is our own comfort zone and that we are only willing to go this far and that's why it remains hopeless I think one thing that also you know I, I think about when it comes to theatre as a form of presentation is how I guess the, the assumption is that you know the audience is middle class it's people uh, who can yes. afford this ticket yeah. right who have the time to come out and, and watch this mm. and, and pay the money for it you know how do you negotiate with that we got triangle project <laughs> <laughs> yeah you do have a triangle project I yeah, don't think one one la. piece of work can yeah, address yeah. all these issues yeah. uh, I was just thinking of shifting people out of comfort zone. I was suddenly reminded of uh, you know the, the recent piece that we did uh, both sex now exit at, exit at the uh, Teluk Langa. so on one night this man very well dressed he came and watched the piece and after watching he was sitting around and talking to us and he's about 60 over retired and he was very shocked to sit at Teluk Langa outside a market to see so many different kind of people watching a performance and in fact he has never stepped into such an area before because he really comes from a very privileged background mm. he heard there's a performance so he comes to he came to watch and he never seen so many different mm. in a way a very you know different kind of Singapore mm. that he has never seen I, I've been thinking also about our work you know it's strange that it's actually this work is not just about who we talk about they are financially strapped I think uh, the poverty here is a kind of a depravity that cuts across in our work uh, different kind of structure so if there's a disruption of the narrative I think we, we in a play the play is really not just about poverty in terms of whether you can achieve something or not it's a lot of actually do you know what you're missing and what you are not seeing just like that man who came there and then that's why he sat there with us for an hour and talk about mm. how he's now dealing with his retirement trying to sort out what is meaningful and coming here to him to see a different world that he has never seen before mm-hmm. when we thought that most of us would have seen it mm. how many Singaporeans actually are living in that kind of mm. Uh, mm. conditions and situations and yet highly aware of something is lacking mm. but yet they can't articulate and put the finger and in fact a lot of characters in the play from the very rich in the play to the very poor all are finding that thing even that dignity of mm. being a human in the system that you are in a system that actually dehumanizes in order for it to work mm. I mean system usually have to put you into into boxes, categories, files, so that they can evaluate, right. they can be efficient. Doesn't even talk about efficacy, but you talk about efficiency and ensure that it delivers the most that you can calculate out of. So in a way, I don't think it's a system that just affects mm-hmm. the poorest, mm-hmm. but all the way to the richest. Mm-hmm. Hmm. to the most powerful to the least empowered and I think that's the narrative we probably have to look at it's no longer pointing towards A of course 
the people in power will perpetuate it uh, because they need to protect that that system. Uh, but are they? I mean, that self reflexivity, you know. Uh, I'm always intrigued. The moment when they are alone, what actually goes inside their head? Mm. One of the best parts of um, the last three months after my book came out for me has been uh, receiving letters from people um, who've read the book. I think it's still too soon to sort of really draw patterns of of um, who writes to me and and what it all means, but the kinds of letters that have really moved me are from people who thank me for writing the book because they they tell me that you know they they have felt that there's something off but they couldn't quite put their finger on what is off and that the book gives them some sort of framework or vocabulary for for thinking about things um, or the book helped them kind of shed certain scales, you know, of their eyes. Somehow that's, that, that's been, that's shaped, that's moved them enough for them to, you know, look up my email address and, and send me these letters, right? And I think this relates to what Heng Wan is saying about the, how did you phrase it, depravity that cuts across different strata, right? Mm. That we are all, that that many of us in, in this society are struggling in different ways, um, not just with the meeting of the needs, but also of trying to make sense of what we are in this place and what we are in this world and what our role should be and and how we should move through the life course and how are we to relate to one another, yeah? And how alone are we or how not alone are we, right? And I think that with place like this with all the performances the various theatres have put up over the years with things that people write in in, in, in the fictional arena in the non-fiction arena with the different kinds of activities that activists are involved in some of which are not captured in any kind of textual medium that all of these things are really very important for building right some kind of vocabulary and frameworks that help us better understand all those things you know who we are in this world how are we to relate to one another where are we headed to conclude i was i was reading the final chapter of your book and i think it echoes with what you just said and i'm gonna read it you said what can we do about the inequality problem. I hope a lot, and I believe it will include many things I cannot imagine. A solution a playwright, a policymaker, or a student designs will be something I am capable of conceptualizing. I am doing what I, what I can from where I am, and I know many others will do what they can from where they are. We each take what knowledge we have and adapt and apply it given the resources and opportunities we have. So I think it, it's quite fitting here today that you, know, you as a sociologist have written about it and then we have two theatre companies who have come together to do a play about it. Mm. Two different approaches to how we can look mm. at inequality in in Singapore. So thank you so much for sharing thank so many you. insights thank and you. thank you so much for being here. Thank you.